I love the word missional. I love it because it's, it's our word. It's a, a church word, a big C church word. You know, if you try to send a message to somebody, uh, it, it'll spell check it. Um, if you write it in uh, uh, on any word processor, it'll underline it in red because it's, it's not in those dictionaries. It's a unique word for those who are called by Jesus and sent out on mission, which is the case for everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. You, you have been called for a mission, for a, a particular mission in your part of the world that God has called you. And it's not your mission, it's not our mission, but it's God's mission that the, the King of Kings has given to us. He's entrusted to us a life and, and resources as a, as a church and as individuals to be on his mission. Mark mentioned uh, last week and did a wonderful job of presenting uh, what it means to be a brave church as we multiply. That, that we are called to, to proclaim and, and share and live the, the good news so that others will repent and turn to, to Christ as well. And then they, they'll continue and they'll tell to others and tell to others and tell to others so that the, the King of Kings will be worshipped around the world. So each of us and we as a church are like a, a missionary outpost. The Klosses are here today to share with us about being missionaries in Senegal. I don't see them. Laurie and Rudy, are you all here right now? They're not, but they'll be here in the middle hour to share with us what, what it means to be on God's mission in Senegal. But in a very similar way, each of us are on a mission in our own homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools we are on a mission. We are, it's not that we have missions to do, but we are on a mission. It is a way of life. Now, it's not easy. I mean, it's, it's a challenge. It takes bravery uh, today as a church to be on mission, to always be pushing outward and not circle the wagons and protect ourselves. That's our natural tendency is to move towards what is safe. But if we're on a mission, then we're always pushing into the, the boundaries, into the places that are scary, into the places that are difficult. In our passage today, even, we'll, it's a fascinating one, a contra, controversial one, but I think powerful in understanding that we are missional as a brave church. That we are on board with the mission of God where He pushes and leads us and as He brings things to us that take us out of our comfort zone, that teach us and mold us, that scare us, that challenge us. The call to be a brave church on God's mission. Our passage is in Matthew chapter 15, one where we, we see the, the disciples really not, not getting the essence of Jesus' mission and pushing those boundaries further and further. In Matthew 15, starting with verse 21, found on page 797 
in your pew Bible. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Gracious God, speak to us this day. Continue to free us to trust you as we hear your word and apply it in our lives. May your spirit come upon us. Reveal to us the, the mission you have for us as a church. Continue to give us courage that comes only from you to carry out your mission. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Matthew, uh, starting, uh, Matthew 15, starting with verse 21. Now, Jesus is with his disciples, and he's uh, leaving the place that he was go- that he'd, where he'd been working and now going to a new place. So, Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Now, important to note here that Tyre and Sidon are some of the evil places. You know, they're, they're sort of like Sodom and Gomorrah. They're, they're the, the places where the Gentiles live. They're the un, ungodly places, the scary places. The places where um, violent crime happens, prostitution occurs, drug trades go on in Tyre and Sidon. It's the ungodly, unrighteous places of the Bible. And yet that's where Jesus goes. He goes straight to Tyre and, and Sidon. And just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Now, this is a Canaanite woman. Canaan are the opponents of Israel. I mean, they're the ones that, are, that Israel needs to destroy to enter into the promised land. They're the ones that are opposing them, that are in the way. They are the enemy. So this is an unrighteous place and now an ungodly woman has come before Jesus. Look at verse, next verse, verse 22, or verse 23. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. Now, this, this woman didn't even know how to appropriate, appropriately approach Jesus. He's sitting there with his disciples, and what's she doing but shouting at him? And, and so the disciples then, then say, Jesus, you know, and, 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 well, and we see too, Jesus is silent. Says nothing. And then the disciples, Jesus, do something about this woman, will you? I mean, go ahead, just heal her, you know? But get rid of her. You know how that can be, you know? Somebody comes up and bugs you. Hey, can I have a dollar seventy-five for what are they asking for? You all know, you've all been asked. Bus fare. You know? Yeah, and what do you do? Sure, just two bucks, you know? Stop bothering me. Get, get it out of my way. My un, uh, it, it, that will at least assuage my anxiety of about what you're really about. That's what the disciples are telling Jesus. You know, Jesus, take care of this woman just so she'll be quiet and get out of the way. 
And Jesus responds then in verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Hmm. Sort of an odd response, don't you think? One, first off, that he was silent. Sort of ignoring her. And now he's saying... And he, interesting that he doesn't say who he's talking to. Just sort of talking to the air. Is he talking to the disciples, the woman, or is he just talking to all that will hear and say, saying that he was sent, his mission was only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now this is where this gets really controversial. Uh, it, actually, it gets even more controversial later on. I'm going to go ahead and play my cards what I think Jesus is doing here. I think he's playing a ruse. I think he's doing this for the disciples to learn and understand how easy it is to get caught up in the ways of the world of how we identify different people. And in identifying them in different ways, we dehumanize people. Some people are more human than others. That's really what's happening here. And you'll see we'll get to it even further where he really hits it. That he's, he's addressing in us followers of Jesus ways that, that people bug us, that, that are different than us, or that, that they don't do the conventional things that they're supposed to do according to our, our way of understanding life, and maybe according to a whole bunch of ways that people understand life. And what we easily can do is then dehumanize them. Hey, I, I, Jesus, Jesus sort of play into that, well, you know, i got to take care of my own first. Charity begins at home. Right? I think he's playing into that, sort of drawing them in, saying, be really careful with that. That that sets up some kind of barrier or some kind of hierarchy of someone being more human than another. And the mission of Jesus is to the world. And we know that. Part of the reason this, we look at this passage and we're like, oh, wait a minute, what, what about the Samaritan woman? You know, what, what about all, all the times that, that we're told that Jesus has come for the salvation of the world? For God so loved the world. That's why we read this at first glance and we're conflicted. We struggle with what he's saying. But she, now verse, uh, verse 25. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now, now, the word knelt is the, the same word that's used throughout the New Testament to mean worship, uh, to pay homage. It's the word that was used for the Magi when they came and knelt before the Lord Jesus in the manger. Regularly used for the, those that gathered to worship. God, she came and knelt before Jesus in worship and homage and humility. Submission. This unclean woman from an ungodly place said, Lord, help me. Put your seatbelts on here. In verse 26, Jesus answered. Again, talking to the air, talking. We're not told exactly who. And that's key for why I think Jesus is playing a ruse. And we'll see that why in a minute. 
He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Whoa. Did Jesus really just say that? It's interesting here. I mean, first blush, it seems like he's saying, So the children of Israel are the children of God, and you, unclean people from ungodly places like you, Canaanite women, y'all are the dogs. Now, it's interesting that Jesus uses a word here for dog that's sort of like puppy dog. So, not vicious dog. As to, and a number of people have make, make a big deal about that. Well, Jesus is not really insulting them. I just can't buy that. It's still dog. Yeah, and, and in the first century, they did not have vets like we have vets. They did not have all the comforts of home for dogs that many of us have today. So he's using, I believe, a derogatory slur for an ethnicity of people in that day. And he's playing right into the disciples' notion of who's a good human and who is not. And he's doing that, again, speaking out to the crowd. Demonstrating, as we'll see as the story unfolds, that faith, that worship, that repentance, it can be found in the most unlikely places by the most unlikely people. And the disciples sort of buy right in. They, they catch in to that some people are better than others. It's subtle. I know it in my own life. And so do all of us. We're told by psychologists, sociologists, that we judge somebody within half a second of seeing them. Now we... Make those kind of snap, quick judgments and get wrapped up into the ways of the world and forget how difficult God's mission is to cross over into different places where we've already judged people as unworthy or maybe even more so, they'll never get it. They'll, they'll, we, we limit the very power of the gospel. Then verse 27. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. This woman sold out for Jesus. She is, she is sold out with faith and trust, even in the midst of this confusing interaction. Every human being, no matter what you've done, no matter how you feel about yourself, no matter how you might even call yourself a dog, you might truly despise yourself. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you to come to Him. God has sent Jesus on a mission to 
Go to the tire and the sidons, to the ungodly places, to the unrighteous places, with those who are despised in order to bring healing and wholeness and love. Verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, Woman! See, now, He points right to her. You, woman, you fully human person, you now. He, he, he then identifies her, gives her the fullness of who she is, created in God's, God's image as a woman, talking to her directly. Great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. Maybe as God sends us in mission, it may not be across the, 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 uh, the, the sea. It may just be across the street. And you may be in ungodly places, unrighteous places, with people that you think they'll never come to faith. Maybe your boss, maybe your employees, maybe a family member, a co-worker, the, 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 a student, fellow student with you, a neighbor. People you don't like, people you don't know, people that don't act the way that we think is appropriate. It may even be people that steal wedding cakes that are the very ones that Jesus has sent us on a mission to love and to care, to serve and to love, to be a healing presence, to be the power of God working through us so that in word and deed we proclaim the love of Jesus. It takes a brave church to move in those ways. But that's part of our legacy. Being a brave church. Reaching, reaching out, whether it's just across the aisle or across the street or across the sea. Knowing that the gospel is that powerful and the love of Jesus is that great. So I asked uh, Ralph Williams to come and share his story uh, with us. Which is a story of a way that uh, God so blessed us on this missional journey even before the word was even cool. Come on down, Ralph. Ralph's the executive director, uh, today's executive director of Christ Community College Hill, just across the parking lot where uh, they uh, provide for the the needs, whether it's food or financial assistance or just care and counseling for folks who are in in troubled times. Um, Also running a a camp for children over at Pleasant Hill, Christ Community Camp this summer, and a whole bunch of other things that uh, the ministry um, uh, does as a representative of, of the churches in College Hill. That's why it's Christ's community in College Hill, a way we work together um, to uh, be that witness, to be on that mission together. So, uh, Ralph, uh, share with us your story. Thank you, brother. Hey, it's an honor and a privilege to stand before you this evening, uh, this morning, uh, and to share my story with you. My story is about a young black man in a church in College Hill, a Presbyterian church. 
They had good people with good heart, and they believed in God. This story is going to really amaze you because you would never thought that you would raise a boy that looked like me with a beard and bald head. And my high school coach said I talked like a frog horn. I was a quarterback, and they couldn't understand what I was saying. Across the street or around the world, the mission is still the same. Ain't that right, Brian Madison? You ready for this? <laughs> the mission, Brian, is still the same, brother. Matthew 25, 35 says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat, Brian. When I was thirsty, me and my friends, you and Miss Madison, y'all gave us water. When I was a stranger, called your Presbyterian church, you invited me in. It was in the early in the in the early seventies that me and my friends we had moved to College Hill from the West End. And a lot of my friends had moved from Cumminsville, Winton Terrace, Lincoln Heights to College Hill because during the sixties, the late sixties, was the riots. Was when Dr. King was killed and, and and the Kennedys were killed. And so our families wanted to put us in a safe place. So we moved to College Hill. When we moved to College Hill, we noticed that it was something different in College Hill than the West End. I noticed that I was black and everybody in my class at College Hill School was white. I noticed that I was black and everybody on my street was white. But it was a special place as I walked down Grossbeck Road. They didn't have sidewalks back then. And as I walked down, me and my friends walked down Grossbeck Road, and we came through this church parking lot, we felt that it was a very special place. We seen all these white folks, and they was always happy, shaking hands and hugging, you know, and smiling. I'm like, man, them some happy people. And we would walk through, and we would notice them, and they would wave at us, and we'd look, you know, like, man, what they waving at? We weren't used to that. And so we would sit across the lot here, if you would look at, um, at the Hill Rise apartment building. Me and my friends, back then it wasn't an apartment building. It was all woods. And so on Tuesday nights, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday nights, me and my friends, we would sit in the woods there. And these kids from this church, this Codgeville Presbyterian church, their youth would be outside playing. And we noticed this guy, he looked like Jesus. He had a big old beard, you know, long beard, and, you know, he was always smiling. And my friend looked at me one day, he said, man, you think that's Jesus? I said, no, man, I don't think, think that's Jesus. His name was Gary Sweeten. <laughs> and we hid in the woods, and, you know, we looked, and we seen them playing, and they would have hula hoops and jump ropes and be playing hopscotch and you know, just having the greatest time, these kids. And me and there was nine of us. We in the woods, we had mosquitoes biting us, and we just looking at these kids having fun. And so we noticed that at the end of every session that they had, they would bring popsicles and fudge sickles and uh, um, uh, 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 what do you call it? ice cream sandwiches, and they would be eating and, man, and just having fun, and we sitting in these woods. 
And I said, man, you know what? I told the guys, I said, I bet you they got something left. So one of my friends would always go in, and it's the library in the front here, the Fellowship Hall, and he would unlock one of them windows. And when they would leave, we'd come in through the windows, man, we'd get us the rest of the fudge sickles and, you know, ice cream, man, and, you know, we sitting in Fellowship Hall, and, man, I said, this is pretty cool, man. <laughs> and so to make a long story short, one day, we, you know, we came through the windows, and I said, man, look at that big birthday cake. Man, they said, there ain't no birthday cake. That's a wedding cake. I said, man, they probably left it for us because I know they, they got to know we're taking this ice cream. My friends say they probably did. I said, but I, I, we better not eat all of it, though. <laughs> so we started to cut the cake, and, you know, everybody had their plates, and we got our ice cream, and we looked in, and they had some punch in there, and we drunk some punch, and... But we left some cake because we knew that somebody was going to be getting married the next day. So we better leave them something or they're going to be pretty mad at us. You know, one thing about Presbyterians that I wanted to tell you, you know, I always joke. I said, you know, I'm half Presbyterian, really. And I said, they don't ever get mad at you, man. Do you know that we broke in to the church, stole the ice cream, uh, stole the lady's cake, and then years later, they would give me the key and the code to the security so that I could come in. I said, man, I can't believe they just let me. I don't have to climb through the window no more. I just can push the car through the code. And I got a key. They let me use their van and everything. I'm saying, man, these Presbyterians are some pretty good people. But let, 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 let me share with you. The very next week, we were sitting out in the woods peeking over at the kids. And Gary Sweeten, was, I, don't, I forget who he was talking to, but they were standing there, and they was talking, and we was looking at Gary. And then it looked like he was looking at us, so we ducked down. I said, look out, man. I think he's looking at us. And all of a sudden, Gary made the greatest decision in the history of, of this church's outreach ministry. He took and waved. Come on over. We hit it. So he's talking to us. <laughs> Come on over. And we came over and we played hopscotch and we played jump rope and we ran, you know, relay races and we had the greatest time. This was in the 70s. Let me tell you, in, 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 in this story I'm tell, telling you, and I, and, and I entitled this, then a hero, then some heroes came along. Let me share who these heroes were. Brian Madison. Then Tom Skinner came. We had what we called the backdoor coffee house after that. And this church had a little building out here on the front of Hamilton Avenue. And they opened it up to the young men and women like me in the community that we could come up and play. And Brian's vision was so great, and he was just such a nice man. We made crosses, and, and for the back of books, we made these little pockets, and he would pay us. We, we, we got paid to do that. We had pool tables and ping pong tables, and we went on trips. Man, we had a great time. Gary Sweeten, Ron Rand, Jerry Kerr, 
Dick Towner. Dick used to get mad at us, boy. <laughs> man, Dick used to be mad at us, man. I remember when we uh, were in the back door and he had the fire extinguisher up and we decided to have a fire extinguisher fight and we turned everything yellow in there. Boy, Dick was hot, man. I said, I wonder what he's mad about. But what I wanted to tell you is that this church took a young man, and, and we thought it was other people. Brian invested in a guy named Gary Washington. We called him J5. Gary was over to Madison's house all the time. He was Brian's guy. We were sometimes a little jealous. I was a little, I was a little younger than him. We were sometimes jealous, and we thought Gary was the one. But all along, the one that God was investing in, that this church was investing in, was sitting on the other side of the woods looking at Gary Sweeten, and Gary Sweeten was looking at him. Now, in the 80s, I entitled it My Turn. It was my turn to take over and to do ministry. Reverend Strayhorn, it came to College Hill in 1974. I was 14 years old. My mother, my father had left home. My mother tried to commit suicide. She cut her wrist, tried to kill herself. And somebody referred our family, I don't know if it was Brian or whoever, referred our family to this new program called Christ Community that the churches had started. And so I got involved with Christ Community. Reverend was letting me stack the canned goods up on the shelf. Later, I became the assistant administrator. And then a guy by the name of Jeff Young, who was another Presbyterian, who's a legend in this community, would come along. And Jeff would come along sharing the truth, how much Jesus loved us and wanted to be a part of our life. And that if we accepted Christ in our life, that things were going to change for us. Let me tell you, I never expected to go to college. I was the first one in my family to go to college. Had a dyslexic problem. Well, I look at my words and they're always backwards. When I was a kid, all the teachers would say, he's dumb. They didn't know nothing. Because I would go on and graduate from college. Many of my friends would go on and graduate from college that was involved in this Young Life program. And then later on, I would come, I would become the director of inner city ministries for Young Life in Cincinnati. We would work with over 10,000 kids in a 20-year period. Kids accepting Christ in their life because of the seed that this College Hill Presbyterian Church planted. Because Gary Sweeten waved to some kids that were peeking across the lot. Because of forgiveness and the love that these Presbyterians have for this community. That lives have been won and saved. And relationships have been built with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Three hundred kids. Remember I said they gave me the key and the, and the code to the church? I would bring three hundred kids every Thursday down uh, in the basement of this church. And we would sing songs and do skits. And have some snacks. We didn't have to steal them. <laughs> they was waiting on us. In our K-Hop program, we had 100 kids from 1 to grade 6. In the day camp, over 150 kids. 
in our basketball ministry, 70 young men that you would see sitting out on this street corner, always up at Aiken playing basketball and hearing the good news about our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Campaigners ministries, that's meaning kids accept Christ in their life. The little Bible study that we would have, over 100 kids in this community. The crime rate in College Hill was almost zero because of the investment that you made. It was easy for Gary to turn us away and to act like he didn't see us. It would have been easy for you not to let me use your van in your church. All you had to do is say, we, we booked. But with over 10,000 lives been saved, let me tell you in closing about a successful ministry. Teachers, principals, deans, preachers, police officers, six NFL players came through your ministry. Two Super Bowl rings. Thousands of college grads. And over 10,000 Christians. Because these people that believe in God was willing to say, come on over. Come on in. We know you're bad. We know you've been stealing. We know you've been acting a fool. But we still love you. And I want to challenge you. As I close, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to remember. I got all these cards. I want to challenge you to remember that when things go wrong, as they sometimes will, when the road that you travel seems all uphill, when your hopes are low, Drew, and your goals are high, brother minister, you want to smile, but you have to sigh. College Hill Presbyterian, when doubt is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you ever quit. I want you to remember, Brian, that life is funny, it's weird, it's strange with this twist and turn. As each one of us Christians must sometime learn. But many a great churches have been turned about when they might have won had they stuck it out. So I want you to stick to this fight. Stick to it with your heart is hit. Because it's when things seem worse that we must not quit. I want to say God bless you and thank you um, for your kindness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for saving me. And I'm almost a tear. And thanks for saving my friend. God bless you. Stay up here with me.